Well, what's up, fam? It's so good to see you guys. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 7, or swipe to Proverbs chapter 7, and I'm going to turn there myself. And now a little introduction, maybe for those of you who who are new or um, who weren't with us last week, or or maybe you're just kind of checking back in this summer. We're in a series called Proverbs, which is why there's that little graphic right there. Um, And we're learning about different Proverbs, and we're taking a couple weeks on a couple of different ones. And last week, we started Proverbs chapter 7. It's kind of this warnings against lust, and, and it says, you know, it's Solomon talking to his son, but it can just as easily be swapped for a daughter the other way around, okay? So ladies, this is not like something that's just for the guys. This is for everybody. This is important for everybody. And that's actually something that we'll talk about tonight as well. Um, So, like I've said, we're in Proverbs chapter 7. So tonight we sort of end our study on what I think may be the most important proverb for your generation, which again is Proverbs chapter 7. And and I say we're going to sort of end because although our time going through it together will be over after tonight, it doesn't have to be the end of your time going through it. Reading the Bible, um, I think a good way to think about it is reading the Bible is a lot like walking through a forest or walking through something as big as the Grand Canyon. You need a guide, right? You need someone who can show you the big picture, someone who can keep you on the right path or keep you from getting distracted and frustrated because the Bible can feel like that sometimes you kind of get lost in it so you need a guide but a guide could never show you you know if you just go on the tour that the guide wants to go on you're never allowed to go down the side roads that you want to go on or or slow down you have to go at the guide's pace you never get to slow down and look at things that maybe you want to look at that the guide hasn't even noticed So a guide could never show you all the secrets and the beautiful parts of the forest that you can find through spending hours walking it by yourself. So you need both. You need a guide, but you need to go through it on your own. It's the same thing here in Scripture. You need teachers and small group leaders and sermons and podcasts. You need those things to show you the big picture. But you also need to go through it on your own. You'll discover things on your own that teachers will never point out to you. Think about that. You'll discover things on your own that I will never point out to you. Or your college pastor, or your parents, or your small groups, or Pastor Mac. You'll discover things on your own, and you need both of those things. And this is a great proverb to start in, to start exploring and working around. Because like we discussed last week, so a little review, okay? We discussed last week, this proverb is for students. Look at Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1. Look at the first two words out of it, okay? Um, Let's do a little trivia here. Caleb, listen to this. My son, keep my words. Okay, Caleb, who is this this proverb for? Wow, yes, his son. Because it says right there in the text, it's for his son. Now follow this and look at uh, verses 6 and 7. From the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the naive, that just means those inexperienced in life, which is you guys, no disrespect, it is what it is. Verse 7, looked among the naive, and I discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. It even says youth, it even says the thing. This is for you guys. King Solomon is giving this teaching to his son, who is old enough to talk about girls, but not old enough to be married. 
which sounds a lot like your age. And the example he uses involves a young person out with their friends. Again, like you guys. This is written for Solomon's teenage child to understand. So it's written with you guys in view. We also discussed last week about how this teaching on lust, right? That's what he's talking about is lust. This teaching on lust and on loving God more than lust, it can't just be a one-time lesson. It can't just be a one-time lesson or it will never hold up. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 3. Chapter 7, verse 3. Um, Bind my teaching on your fingers. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Okay, so writing it on your fingers. We talked about this last week. What in the world? Is it like a tattoo or what? It's not that. You can't put America into the Bible because an American, if that's even the right way to say that, it sounds like maybe tattoo. How else would you put something on your fingers? Remember, you have to read it from the perspective of an ancient Jewish person. Putting something on their fingers. These things were called tefillim. T-E-F-I-L-L-I-M. Tefillim. And this is what this was. Um, Bind them on your fingers. It's called Tefillim in Jewish history. It was teaching or verses or different things to memorize kept in little boxes wrapped around a man's fingers so that he could have this teaching near him all day. Okay, Think about it. Everything this guy did in the fields, at the market, talking to people, meeting people, he's using his hands. So this teaching is literally at the forefront of his vision every single time he does anything. What if this teaching on lust was with you every time you turned on the TV or every time you logged into Instagram? Not that you log in, but you get what I'm saying, okay? Like every time, or every time you went to the mall, or every time you went to the movies, this teaching on lust was right here. That would be so helpful, would it not? And it sounds strange, you know, with this, with wrapping around your finger, but it's the exact same as if you had a reminder on your phone that went off every hour. Look at this, look at this, look at this, don't forget this. It's the exact same thing. Solomon is saying, this teaching about lust needs to, it has to be on your fingers. It has to be constantly going off in your head. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you will be bombarded by lust, by messages about sex and physical relationships that is contrary to this. So you need this with you all the time. One awkward, awful conversation with your parents about sex is not going to just end your, oh, thanks, Dad, now I get it. That's not how that's going to go. And then you can forget about it and never touch it again. Families have to be constantly talking about this. You have to be constantly filling your mind with teaching about this. We go through a curriculum in high school called Mingling of Souls, probably every two years in the guys and the girls, because this is just too important. We'll do the big issue again this year for a month, probably in February-ish time frame, just because it's too important for us to leave out for a year or to take a year off. Because you guys certainly don't take any time off of being attracted to other people, and the world doesn't take any time off of taking advantage of that. You need to constantly be reminded of the beauty of God and the ugliness of lust. You need to wear the teaching on your fingers. Our hearts have to be changed by God's word. We talked about this need for change. Look at uh, Proverbs 7, 6 through 9. Let's look at this fella here. 
For the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, verse 7, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the darkness. So he's going there. He does these things. This guy does these things. The road doesn't pull him towards her house. He's all innocent, and then, whoom, he gets ambushed by the culture. That's not what happens. He goes there. Our hearts, get this through your head, our hearts naturally pull towards these things. That's Solomon's point. He goes there. Our hearts pull towards these things. That's why sometimes you'll do bad things, and maybe you don't feel bad about them, because it's what you wanted to do. We sin because we like to sin. There's an old song called, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount. I'm not going to do it, but you get it. It's called, Come Thou Fount. In the middle of the and you'll hear it in like, those aren't the, the moves to it. Um, there should be hand motions, but whatever. Um, I wasn't there when it was written. There's a, there's a lyric in this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Um, there's a lyric in this song that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. He feels that he is prone to this. He is bent to wander, to wander away. We are bent, we are prone to wander away from God. He goes there, and you saw in verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening. He's going there at night because he knows this is wrong. He's not just, oh, I tripped and there it was. He's not a victim of this. He's making himself a victim of it. And that's what happens with lust so often. You jump into all these things, and now it feels so good so often. You like it so much. You like looking at it, feeling it, whatever, so much that you don't want to get out. You've made yourself a victim of it. We also learned that real men and intelligent women know when to hide. Look at verse 6. For at the wind, this is Solomon telling the story. He's talking to his son, then there's a big paragraph jump, and then in verse 6, he's, he's telling the story now. For at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the naive. So he's up, Solomon is hiding in his home. This woman is on the street, in her house, near her house, on the road. Solomon looks down, so he's off the main road level. He's looking through his window through this lattice, which is that crisscross thing that vines crawl up in movies and books or whatever. He's looking through these things. He's hiding. He knows his weakness to this temptation, so he doesn't want to mess with it. If you're weak towards pornography, why on earth would you think that it's a good thing if mom and dad go to work all day and just leave you with the computer by yourself? To know your weakness. Why, why is it a good idea to take your phone into your room before you go to bed when you're by yourself? He knows his weakness. He knows his heart is sinful, so he hides from it so that he can defeat it. He doesn't try to, try to man up or woman up and, and try to beat this on his own. He knows he's going to fail, so he avoids the situation now, why does Solomon hide, yet this other guy goes straight into it? What's the difference between their hearts? Look at verse uh, 1 and 2. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Keep my commandments and live, right? Keep my commandments 
and live. Christian, if he keeps his commandments, he's going to what? Nicely done. Keep my commandments and live. When we keep God's commandments, when we act out God's commandments, when we hear his word, and this is where church is so important because you don't really hear it a lot of other places. When we hear his word and act on it, it begins to change our hearts. A divine miracle takes place. Just like exercising changes your body. Your body is not this way, and then you exercise, and your body is still this way. When you lean into that difficult conversation, when you give up time to sacrifice for others, these things will change your heart. You will not be the same way after you obey that you were beforehand. And Solomon has walked out some of God's teaching when it comes to physical relationships, and God's word has opened his heart So things are different now. He's not drawn to it so much. Fellas, are you listening? Can you imagine? He's not drawn to it as much. And ladies, we're going to get there with you too, but can you imagine this thing that you're so weak towards, this thing that is so easy to fall into, having that grip loosened on your heart? That's what we're going to talk about. So we focused on all of that. That's last week. That was review, all right? Basically, verses 1 through 9. So let's jump into the new stuff, okay? We're in uh, chapter 7, verse 10. This young man has gone to the woman's house, and he is guided by lust and desire. So we're in Proverbs 7. We're going to go 10 through 13 and then take a break. Um, And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, cunning in heart. She is loud and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares. And... Lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face, she says to him. Okay, let's talk about this woman for a second. She is loud. She is cunning. And remember we talked last week, this word for cunning is the same word in Genesis 3.1 when it says the serpent in the garden, which is Satan. The serpent in the garden is more crafty than all the other animals. So she is loud. She is cunning. She is lurking. She kisses him. Last week we touched on how the guy, and we just talked about it. Remember, the guy is a victim of lust, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Solomon is showing us that she knows exactly what she is doing as well. One of the biggest problems in the church, and, and, it's, and we are the church, so it's not, you know, it's, it's everyone's fault. But so often what we do is we associate a problem with, with strictly one gender and the other gender is simply a victim. And this happens both ways all the time. We isolate it to one gender or one group. It's just young people or it's just old people or it's just parents, or it's just girls, or guys are the bad ones, girls are the victims. Girls are to blame, guys are the victims. But the Bible looks at both sides equally. It is so important to see. Solomon treats this woman as conscious, aware of her actions, and responsible for them. Solomon does not say she's a victim of the culture. He sees her as an expert in this broken culture. Someone who is continuing this broken culture. Solomon doesn't say 
Oh man, you kids are just so exposed to so many things these days, which is true, but it's easy to say, oh, you're just a victim of the culture. Oh, she never stood a chance. He couldn't help it. But by doing that, by continually calling yourself a victim, you will never have to take responsibility for your actions. She went to a rough school. Can you blame her for acting out? Yeah, you can. Boys will be boys. Boys will only be boys if you let them be boys. Does that make sense? This woman knew exactly what she was doing. Look at verse 15. When I get there, we'll read it. Verse 15. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you earnestly, diligently. She went looking for him. Verse 16 and 17, I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. She's put work into this beforehand. This is premeditated. This took work. This took planning. She knew exactly what she was doing. You don't just stumble onto the website. You don't just stumble down into the basement for movie night with the significant other. It's not an accident. You know what's happening. From the drive, on the drive there, on the drive back, you know what you're about to do. She knew what she was doing. And, and ladies, the church, in a way, has failed you. And maybe you're, you're not quite old enough to see this, but you will see it repeated over and over and over again. The guys always get addressed when it comes to lust, but it affects women too. And since you guys have been left out of the conversation, lust has run wild. And ladies, since it affects us all, right? Since, it, since lust affects all of us, you also have to help us fix this sin problem. You have to think twice about your body and your soul. How do you want to be treated? How do you want to be looked at? You need to think twice about these things. And let's just go practical. And I'm, and I'm not some like, you know, I didn't get this from like oldangrypeople.com, okay? This is like, I'm a young guy. This is me trying to, trying to level with you. You need, thank you, Bryce. You need to, listen, you need to think, and, and I'm going to say it, and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, but I'm not wrong because this is backing me up. Thinking twice about your body thinking twice about your soul, thinking twice about how your body is looked at, how your messages are being interpreted. You have to think twice about these things. You have to think twice about the swimsuit. You have to think twice about the dress. You have to think twice about the shorts. You have to think twice about your heart. Because you say, you have, to, you have to think about your, guard your heart. Okay, well, what does that mean though? What does that look like practically? Your heart is a part of your body. You have to think twice about how your body is being considered. And, and, it's, and I get it. It's easy to say, that's not fair. And you'll see this in college a lot. That's not fair. As women, we shouldn't have to think about that. We shouldn't have to think twice about what we wear while guys don't. That's not fair. What do you mean we have to wear shorts at the lake at crossings? Come on, give me a break. Why do we have to do it? That's not fair. And listen, yeah, I just hit home for some of you, right? Listen, I agree. It's not fair. It's not. But I will also say 
that the world has not been fair since Genesis chapter 3 when we broke everything. That's the heartbreak. So many of us don't really understand just how bad things got after Genesis chapter 3. It's not fair that you have to consider these things twice. That's the devastating part of the fall. It has led to all, follow me, it has led to all of us having to work harder to prevent things that we should not even have to worry about preventing. You shouldn't have to worry about what a guy thinks when he's looking at you when you just decided to wear shorts that were comfortable. You shouldn't have to think about that, but you do. And it is now your job to, because we live in a Genesis 3 world where everything is broken until Jesus comes to make it right. That's why as Christians we can't wait for Jesus to come back. We always talk about going to heaven. Heaven is not the end. You die, you go to heaven. Christ will return and he is making a new earth where you will use your body again and walk around. He will make it all new and right. So no, I agree. It's not fair that you have to think twice about what you wear. It's also not fair that a middle school boy can't watch the NBA All-Star game without seeing half-naked girls dancing around as the players are being introduced. What's a sixth grader supposed to do with that? That a middle school boy can't hit the search tab on Instagram without being thrown into a tsunami of sexual appetite. That he has to be careful when he gets onto YouTube or when he goes to the mall. One of my favorite cartoons was this thing called Batman the Animated Series. Guess what it was about? And it came out in the early 90s, and it was awesome. Um, and it's, it's been out, I don't even know, it's been out for a long time, and so in the news it just came out that it was being released on Blu-ray. It's like an old cartoon being updated, released on Blu-ray. And so I was clicking through the article, and it was showing like how all the characters look different now in Blu-ray. Like, it's the same characters, they just look sharper now. And the way, it's a cartoon, guys, and the way these women in the cartoon were dressed, the shapes that their bodies took, children, eight-year-olds are watching this. Eight-year-olds are thinking, this is what women are meant for. What's an eight-year-old guy supposed to do with that? Imagine being an infant and getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. Do you think he or she is going to be able to swim? That's what it's like for you guys in our culture when it comes to sex. We are all in this tornado that we cannot get through safely without God's grace. And, the way, and God's grace is not this magical thing. It takes the form of us acting towards each other in grace. Guys averting their eyes in grace, changing the channel in grace. Ladies thinking twice about their clothing and their attitude. You know girls who are way smarter than they are, but they act dumb because they get attention from guys. You know these people. Some of them go to our church. But when they think twice about their body, when they think twice about their attitude, when guys think twice about looking and not, and they do it out of grace for the other gender. That's the only way this is going to work. To help each other. 
Because we will both be held responsible. Have you ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to whatever, you can fill in the blank, like in Calhoun, all roads lead to Walmart. Like wherever you go in Calhoun, you will eventually wind up at Walmart. All roads lead to blank. The, this is why, the point of that phrase is that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what road you take, it will lead to the same place. One of the points of this text is to stay off the road that leads to lust. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Proverbs 7. Verses 7 and 8. I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way or the road to her house. It's a road that leads there. Solomon knows that it's these avenues that lead there. And the point is to avoid this road to lust in your heart. But let me ask you something. How are we going to do that when in our world all roads seem to lead to lust? Every day is an uphill battle for men and women. That's the terror of the fall from the Garden of Eden. Listen, we don't need, you don't need more strategies. Keep your phone in your room. Do this, do that. You, you don't need more of them. I'm going to keep giving them to you, but you don't need any more. Your heart has to be fixed. The only thing in common with all these strategies is you. So if you're broken, none of the strategies will work. Jesus has to come to us, just like he came to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And you don't have to turn there. It's a beautiful story. She's had five husbands, and she's with a sixth guy, clearly drowning in lust. And one look at the Messiah changes everything. It was a love and an order and a freedom through Jesus that she never knew before. And it's available for men and women to free them from this pull. All right, back to it. Go to verse 14. So she goes to him. She sees him. Uh, she kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, verse 14, I was due to offer peace offerings today. I have made my vows. It's a weird pickup line. Fellas, I do not recommend that like in the hallway or whatever, when you're trying to, you know, do whatever high schoolers do, you know, I made my vows. I don't think that's the, I don't think that's going to translate. Um, you do you, but this is what that means. She's made her offerings. She's made her vows. Look back at 14. I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I've paid my vows. A peace offering, here, this is so, what is, what is happening? This is what's happening. She's made her peace offering. You made your offerings in the temple. This woman has been to church that day. She's a church girl. Christianity is a heart change. It's not just knowing all the steps. She's going through the motions, right? She's going to church. She's at small groups. She's worshiping in the temple. She goes to collide. She's going to camp. But look at her life the moment she leaves this place. Look at verse 17. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Part of these elements were used as makeup and as perfume, but some of these are also used in the temple during worship. It may be Solomon's way of saying, here's where she really worships. 
Here's where these fragrances really matter. Not in the temple for her, in this temple. Ladies, don't settle. And I'm going to reiterate that all throughout the year. Don't, it's so easy in Rome, especially in towns like this, to get pulled into a church boy. He knows what to say. He has a Bible. It's probably camo for reasons that I don't understand. He has a Bible, right? And he goes to church. His dad is a deacon or whatever. That is not the same as him being a Christian. He goes to the temple. He makes his offering. He makes his sacrifices. Just like she did. But now look where she is when she leaves. Fellas, don't settle. The YouVersion Bible app does not make a girl a Christian. Just because she posts about it does not make her a Christian. That's a good place to start. Maybe that's a good way to have that conversation. But that does not make someone a Christian. There's a lot of people in here who date guys or girls. And I've never met these guys or girls because these guys or girls are never in church. And I'm not saying that like legalistically, like you have to check that box, but I'm saying something's going on where they think something's more important than being here. Have you talked to them about that yet? Look at verses 19 through 20. 19 through 20. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. So she's telling him, that her husband is gone, but not just that. He's gone and he's taken something with him. He's taken this money bag. Think about a trip that you have to, some of you went to camp with us, some of you went to SLU. One of the things you have to take is money. Think about a trip where you have to take a lot of money with you. Most likely, it's not a trip where you'll come back the same day. This husband is going to be gone for a long time. And she tells him, he'll be back at the full moon. She's telling him, here's how you'll know when he's back. That way you don't have to worry about it until then. The point is, there are no consequences here. Solomon is asking the classic question. What would you do if you knew you were never going to get caught? This is a true test of Christianity. This is how you can really tell when your heart is actually changing. Remember what Satan said to Adam and Eve? God tells Adam and Eve, do not eat from this tree of life. Because if you eat from the tree of life, tell me, what's going to happen? You will surely die. And then what does Satan turn around and say? You will not surely die. Look, there's no consequences here. Now what's it going to be? Here's one of the ways you can tell if you're a Christian. And if Jesus is moving in your life. It's not always just pass or fail. When you're tempted to do something, right? So here it is. Here's the temptation. Home alone. Um, with this person in the basement or, or by yourselves in a park or whatever's going on. When you're tempted to do something. When you love Jesus. You begin to think less about the consequences and more about Him. It's not so much about the consequences anymore as a Christian. Those are still there, and they're good means of grace that will help you say no. But instead of just thinking, here's all the ways this could go wrong, you begin to ask yourself, what will Jesus think of me if I do this? 
That's why she's trying to convince him, look, no consequences. This is why looking to just the consequences is a bad thing. Because if you can get the consequences out of the way, there's nothing stopping you from doing it. That's why she's trying to convince him, look, there's no consequences. Because with people who don't know God, all they think about is the consequences. And if they can't see any, then it's fair game. And they give no thought to God's word or to what he thinks. When you want to do something, when you're tempted to do something, do you think about God's love for you and the consequences? Or do you just weigh the consequences? Because I promise you when the day comes, and it will be at college when mom and dad aren't around, or later on this evening, or whenever mom and dad are out of town, or when you're at home by yourself, and those consequences are all gone, if all you're leaning on is, I can't do it because this battle happened, and that's gone, there's nothing stopping you. Look at verses 22 through 23. Almost finished. Suddenly he follows her in. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in chains to the wisdom of a fool, until the arrow pierces his liver, as a bird hastens to a trap, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Solomon is showing us, one, there are consequences to this. Even though they can't see it, there are consequences. Oh, that, that we would see our falling into lust like this. That we would have eyes to see like Solomon does, that this is not a guy, that, that we wouldn't think, oh, I'm about to feel like the man here. Or as a girl to think, I'm about to be so wanted and valued finally. But as an ox going to the slaughter. As someone who is about to have something very bad happen to them. Solomon then ends the story and he cuts back to himself. Look at 24. There's like a paragraph jump from 23 to 24. Verse 24. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims that she has cast down, and numerous are those that she has taken. You see how it says in verse 26, many have been cast down? That is so true, is it not? This will be normal. Watching people give in to lust all the time, this will be normal. You'll see it every, and I don't have to tell you guys that. You know that this will be normal. So how can you defeat this? How can you stay away from lust? Let me give you an example. There's an example that pastors will use, and the heart of it is in the right place, but it is not a good example. It's this idea. Have you heard of this, the rose thing where you pass around a rose? Have you heard, has anyone heard about this? Here's how this works. You take a rose at the very beginning of the sermon and you talk about lust or don't have sex till you're married or STDs or another beautiful thing. And you pass the rose around, right? Middle schoolers, you guys are just really getting into it tonight. Um, you pass around the rose while the pastor is teaching and it's being passed around. There you go. And it's getting messed up, right? And the thorns are broken off, and the petals are messed up, and the leaves are bent and broken. And at the, while, the, while the pastor's talking about the dangers of sex before marriage, and then the pastor gets the rose back at the end, and he says, who would want a rose like this? 
Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ once arose exactly like that. Christ died so that that broken rose could be made beautiful again. If you... It's so easy to end this sermon as, don't do this, see you next week. But we've learned that there's a desire to do this in all of our hearts, in some form or fashion. And some of you will probably give in to this, if not already. I hope you don't, but, you pro- but, but some of you very well may, if not already. And you need to understand that Jesus Christ came for people just like you. That he died for people just like you. And for those who are fighting the good fight, staying in the race, he came to die for you as well. So that instead of just staying in the good fight, you would love to stay in the good fight. So that instead of wallowing in guilt and shame, and I can't tell my small group this, and I'll never be able to open up about this, maybe not. But you need to understand that it has been covered Christ has taken all the penalty for every wrong thing you have done so that you can be made right with Him. There's a great line in um, the book of Hosea where Hosea's wife has cheated on him again and she becomes a prostitute and she's being put up for sale. Nine times out of ten, when a prostitute was put up for sale in Hebrew culture, they would have no clothes on for obvious reasons. And when you have no clothes on there's, and everyone's looking at you, there's no privacy. What a horrible thing. So you can only imagine that all she has left to do is close her eyes in some way to escape this torture. And the Lord tells Hosea, go again to your wife who has cheated on you and left you who has given into lust again and again and again. Can you imagine having nothing left to hide and you close your eyes to hide from this shame and then throughout all the voices you hear your husband calling for you again to come get you again. That's the gospel for those who are lost in lust. You have fallen again. You have failed again. And again you will hear his voice calling for you never turning his back, never giving up, because the cross goes deeper. This is why the cross is all over the building. Because it's the most important part. It's why we do what we do. It's why we have this. Because it goes deeper than any lust, than any sin. And some of you don't know the power of it yet. And I hope that you will. I hope that through sermons like this and through the book of Proverbs and Solomon's wisdom, you will learn that it is the love. We talked about this last week. Lust is so powerful, and our hearts are so wrapped up in it. The only way you can beat it is if your heart is wrapped up in something else, if something else replaces it. That's the beauty of Christ's love. Lust just can't compete with it. This deep love replaces lust, is stronger than lust, is better than lust. And the love of Christ is what can make all things new. Go and learn what this means. Let's pray together.